This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. A program for and about America's 78 million baby boomers. Here's your host, Freddie Bell. Hi, everyone. This is New Beginnings. I am Freddie Bell. Glad you're with us today. And coming up on the show, many of our favorite partners, including Label Sternbach and friends from AARP Minnesota. All this plus the words to the wise on New Beginnings. And our program is underway right now. Walter James joins us this morning. He is a planner in the Minnesota Department of Health's Division of Emergency Preparedness and Response. He's got over 17 years of experience in emergency response, including epidemics, natural disasters, and armed conflict settings. And he's been working on COVID-19, the pandemic, since day one in a number of different roles. And right now he's serving as a program coordinator in the COVID-19 therapeutics program at the Minnesota Department of Health, managing the telehealth test-to-treat program. He's from Richfield, and I understand there's a, an, an additional drug in addition to Paxlovid. What is that, and how do, how do they differ? How are they the same? So the two drugs, the, the two oral antivirals, the two medications, these are pills that you can take. One is Paxlovid. Uh, the other is called Legevrio or Molnupiravir. Um, and they both work as antiviral medication. Um, and then what will happen is that the, the healthcare provider will determine uh, which one is the best for you, uh, depending on uh, your health history uh, and what other medications you may be on. Because again, there's there's um, there's interactions that may happen between medications that you're on and drugs like Paxlovid and Legevrio. Uh, Paxlovid is for ages uh, 12 and up. And Legevrio is for ages 18 and up. And uh, Legevrio, the, the, a major difference is that you're not supposed to use Legevrio if you're uh, pregnant or breastfeeding. Got it. Everybody, we're talking with Walter James from the Minnesota Department of Health in the uh, the test to treat program. So is this service, uh, what does it cost to be to take advantage of this service? The telehealth test to treat uh, service is completely free. Anytime that you dial up that provider, uh, it is at no cost, uh, no cost to you. Um, they, they will try to, if you have insurance, uh, they'll ask that you enter in your insurance information. Uh, they will try to bill your insurance. If, even if your insurance doesn't accept uh, the, the, the charge from the telehealth test to treat service, that's not a problem. Uh, the state of Minnesota takes care of that. So um, you will not receive a bill at all. Um, for the medications, for a very long time, these were uh, free uh, because the, the Biden administration uh, purchased the drugs and made sure that these were available to all states for free. However, um, something that's important to know is that the, the medications themselves are being commercialized, which means it's like any other medication you get, may get recommended by recommended by your doctor. Um, there may be something like a copay now, but however, uh, it's important to know that there are patient assistance programs in place, uh, so that cost is not a problem. Um, if you have questions about costs, it's a good idea to maybe contact your insurance provider or ask your provider or your pharmacist what kind of program you may be eligible for, and also. Um, 
the many locations, many pharmacies, et cetera, still have the, the free U.S. government supplied medication in stock. Um, they will have that for a while. So that, that if they have that stock, it still will be free to, for anyone with a prescription um, and available to, to anybody. So, and then we think that the, the, the medication should be free if, if you qualify for a patient assistance program, which is um, pretty much anybody in the state of Minnesota will be um, eligible for those programs. It, it still sh- the medication still should be free. There's just a couple extra steps to go through. Interesting. So what is that number? I know there are folks going, I think I may have COVID. I'm not sure. What is the telehealth number? How do we get started? So to get started, again, there's there's three different ways that you can uh, reach the telehealth test treat program. Uh, number one, you can call 1-844-609-2451. Again, that's 1-844-609-2415. Sorry. And then uh, also you can visit care.qhealth.com slash Minnesota or just simply, uh, you know, go into your uh, Internet search and, and look up um, Q Health, C-U-E Health, like a pool queue, uh, and Minnesota. And you should be able to reach the website. Or you can go into the Apple or Google App Stores on your smartphone and use uh, and, and search for the Q Health app uh, and use any of those uh any of those uh, uh, different ways to to reach the telehealth test to treat service. It is available not only in English, but also we have it available in uh, 10 other languages, including Spanish, Hmong, Somali, Karen, uh, Oromo, Amharic, Vietnamese, Arabic, Russian, and French for for those of us who uh, English may not be our first language. Full service. Walter James, I can't thank you enough for sharing with us this morning from the Minnesota Department of Health. Do you have a final thought for us this morning? Hey, you know, COVID is still here. We really want to protect everybody uh, in our communities. So, you know, if you know somebody who has these risk factors, uh, make sure to share this information with them. You know, make sure that, that they know that help is out there. Um, in addition to getting vaccinated, we have these, you know, these medications that, that are, are there to help you prevent uh, landing in the hospital. And I just want to thank everybody out there, all the listeners to KMOJ, and thank you, KMOJ, for, for giving us the opportunity to, to share this information and bring unity to the community. Certainly our pleasure. You got the slogan and everything. Thank you so much, sir. He's Walter Jake. You're welcome. He is with the Minnesota Department of Health in the COVID-19 Therapeutics Program at MDH, managing the telehealth test-to-treat program. Thanks, Walter. Thank you. Have a good day. Hi again, everyone. I'm Freddie Bell, and joining us now is John Schwartz. He is the founder, the heart and soul of the Center for Combating Elder Financial Abuse. How many elderly people do you think have been impacted in just in the last couple of years from financial fraud, John Schwartz? Hey, Freddie, thank you very much for having me back on the show. I really appreciate it. So, Freddie, those numbers are very difficult. So I'm just going to uh, uh, throw out what how I look at it. I believe that if uh, one out of a hundred are affected by this crime and that uh, I estimate that a one out of a hundred loses approximately a hundred thousand dollars. Now that's based on uh, very few data points, but I want to uh, put that out there. So if you take that figure and apply it to uh, 56 million elders that we currently have in the United States, the numbers is, is extremely large. And I also want to say that I think one out of a hundred is uh, conservative, too. I want to make a conservative estimate, but I believe uh, what I'm stating is a very conservative estimate. 
With so many elders being impacted, it seems as if there is a bigger role for family members to take an active role in those whom we love and we're close to. Yeah, I agree with that, uh, Freddie. So how I look at it, I say it's a two-piece equation, right? It's the uh, elderly uh, family member as well as a trusted and responsible family member coming together, talking about the threat of elder financial abuse and what can they do working together to harden the target, make it a little bit more difficult for a financial predator to gain control of that elderly person and take their entire life savings. So yes, it's a definitely a two-part equation working as a team to protect that elderly person from these financial predators who are definitely out there. You've talked about having these hard conversations. How do you start the, this kind of a conversation when uh, Uncle John or Grandpa Grandpa Bill is just so hard and set in his, in his ways? Uh, he's hardened his own target, but how do you help him to understand or her to understand that this is something they really need to take a different look at? What I would suggest is maybe go to our website, endefa.org, again, endefa.org, and take a look at the 18 uh, different uh, cases that we have of convicted uh, financial predators, see how they conducted the crime, and then hear the victims' uh, stories on how they lost their entire life savings. Maybe that will change their perspective. As well, take a look at, just do a Google search on uh, elder financial abuse cases, but find the specific cases uh, that have already occurred where people have lost their life savings. We like to take action on new beginnings, and I want to see if we can formulate something to give our listeners this weekend. What would be just one or maybe even two things that we can do this weekend to protect those that we love? The first thing that I would suggest is conduct an risk assessment of that elderly person. And I suggest that because that's exactly what the uh, financial predators do when they target their uh, most uh, vulnerable. So if you have an elderly couple who's uh, age 65, they're active, uh, family lives close by, they probably rank fairly low, but uh, take the same uh, couple um, 10 years later at age 75, maybe one of the spouses has already passed away and there aren't any kids living uh, close by. You know, now that person's much more susceptible to a financial predator. So do that honest assessment. And then another idea that I would share is uh, possibly taking a look at uh, getting an additional telephone number for that elderly family member. And that telephone number would only be shared with trusted and responsible family members and a trusted network. All right. Can you share your website with us one more time, John, before we step away? Yeah, you bet. It's endefa.org. Again, it's endefa.org. And endefa stands for End Elder Financial Abuse. All right. He's John Schwartz, the founder of the Center for Combating Elder Financial Abuse. He's on New Beginnings, and our show continues right now. I'm so glad you're listening to New Beginnings. And from the lighter side of my desk, there was a truck in China that overturned and spilled its load on the road. Within minutes, more than 20 people were seen scrambling to snag all the peaches they could carry. The truck was carrying about a thousand pounds of that delicious fruit. And can you guess what this is? It originated in ancient Egypt and was considered an essential food for the afterlife. What is it? 
I'll tell you in just a few seconds. And workouts do more for your brain than crossword puzzles and Mozart. Doing puzzles and listening to classical music might improve your concentration momentarily, but they don't actually make you any smarter. That is, they don't improve your long-term brain function, according to Nicholas Spitzer, a professor emeritus of neuroscience at the University of California and founding editor-in-chief of BrainFacts.org. Spitzer says, let me dispel a brain development myth. Many people think classical music is going to enhance brain function or playing a particular game sharpens one's cognitive functions. These theories have been looked at in detail and they don't stand up. What does work? Spitzer says exercise is a key thing for brain function. By exercise, he means general activity and exposure to sunlight. Puzzles can't hurt, however. Puzzles do help with specific things like increasing verbal aptitude and helping you learn a new subject more quickly. So long as you get plenty of exercise time outside, there's no reason to drop Sudoku. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? Uh, the things? From oblivious parents to loud phone talkers, rude airline travelers are a year-round occurrence. In a survey of people who traveled over the Thanksgiving holiday, 24% said people are even more rude during the holidays. Some of the worst offenders? A lady telling her child to stop kicking the seat in front of them because the mean lady wants them to stop. A man clipping his toenails while sprawling on the floor at the gate and some dude picking scabs off his bald head, and a man with a wad of chew spitting into a cup throughout the flight. Yuck. And what originated in ancient Egypt and was considered an essential food for the afterlife? It was fruitcake. And here's a thought for the day. Handle every stressful situation like a dog. If you can't eat it or play with it, just pee on it and walk away. Wait, Wait what? Just for fun this week, I'm Freddie Bell, and this is New Beginnings. Get the most from AARP, including advice and support to help you care for your loved ones. Fraud prevention with tips and tools to help protect you from scams and fraud, including a free helpline if you've been targeted, a scam tracking map, and watchdog alerts via email through the AARP Fraud Watch Network. If you don't know AARP, you don't know ARP. More information at AARP.org. And now, our supporting partner, AARP in the Twin Cities. Hi again, everyone. I'm Freddie Bell, and joining me now is the AARP Minnesota State Director, Kathy McClear. And Kathy is here to talk to us about the importance of volunteers to AARP. And Kathy, I'm just wondering... Could you do the work you do now without the volunteers? Oh, absolutely not, Freddie. Um, We rely so much on our volunteers. They really, truly are the heart of our organization. Uh, For those who don't know, ARP Minnesota has a very small staff. We just have nine nine staff members, including myself and an intern. Um, And we really do rely on those volunteers who are willing to give back to make a difference in their communities and for their for their friends and their neighbors across the state. Wow. So this year you've really found a, a nice way to honor those volunteers as well. We have. Um, we, we Every year we do a big uh, volunteer recognition celebration and we just recognized um, some really outstanding individuals. Um, one is Tony Mangskow from, from Rochester. 
Um, she has been a tireless advocate uh, in our advocacy work really for over a decade, um, working to uh, support family caregivers and uh, really contributed to the passage of the CARE Act a number of years ago and the Paid Family Medical Leave Act that passed in this, this past year. It was Tony's willingness to share her experiences, share her stories, and just be so passionate um, about making those improvements for others um, that we were able to get those, those measures across the finish line. Um, we have another couple of folks um, who just really do tremendous community service. Um, Sandy Paulus and Tony Moulet, they are just tireless volunteers. They will do anything and everything for us um, from veterans outreach to uh, you know livable communities work to local events. They just do a tremendous job um, really making sure that life is better for, for all those 50 plus um, and they do such a great job. And then finally, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about our 2023 Andrus Award winner. This is really our top uh, volunteer award that we give every year. You don't have to be an AARP member to receive it. You don't have to be an AARP volunteer to receive it. Um, we take nominations at large from the community. And this year we honored Sarah Barcel from Roseville. Um, she's been a longtime advocate, educator, and leader working to improve the quality of life and care and inclusion of those individuals living with dementia. And so um, we were really honored to, uh, uh, to recognize Sarah for her efforts in that work this year. Well, everybody, we're talking with Kathy McClear. She is the AARP State Director for the organization. We're talking about volunteers. And it's interesting that a lot of these people dedicate their lives to AARP, giving back what they've learned over time. How can we learn more about volunteering and how we can give of ourselves to such a wonderful organization like AARP Minnesota? Yeah, well, we are always looking for folks to join our efforts to make life better for those 50 and older uh, and to in, uh, strengthen and improve our communities. And so we would welcome anybody who's interested just in simply making a difference and giving back um, to reach out and let us know. Um, we we value the skills and the wisdom that all of our volunteers bring, and we do all the training. So if you're thinking, oh, I don't know how to do that or I might not be qualified we will find a place for anyone and everyone, and we will provide whatever training and support that those individuals need um, to give back in a meaningful way. And I just want to remind our listeners that on January 24th, 2024, there is a volunteer orientation taking place in person and it's virtual as well. Uh, do you have the times for those uh, two sessions? Yes, 9.30 a.m. to 10.45, and then a virtual session from 4 to 5 in the afternoon. And, of course, if folks want more information on how to become a volunteer or participate, they can visit us at aarp.org forward slash mn. She's Kathy McClear, and this is New Beginnings. It's time now to talk about your health, and I'm wondering if you wake up regularly with stiff muscles, creaky joints, or the general feeling that your body simply isn't as limber as it once was when you went to bed. The first thing to know is that you're not alone. Waking up with a tight body is almost a universal human experience that, according to a physical therapist and assistant professor in the Department of Kinesiology at the University of Connecticut, Mary Claire Capetta says that it's quite common for it to happen every Every day, 
But while feeling stiff in the morning is normal and typically dissipates quickly, it's also uncomfortable while it lasts. Mary Claire says the good news is that there are a few tricks that we can use when you feel stiff and even before the feeling arises to help you get off to a faster start and relief even faster. Most of the time, that tight feeling when you wake up is a result of overnight changes to the lubrication in two different features of the body, the joints and the fascia. The fascia is a complex group of connective tissues that surround and support the muscles, soft tissue, organs, and bones. Think of the fascia as a fibrous web that wraps around and through muscle tissue to give it structure and stability. It forms multiple layers with a gel-like lubricant in between that allows the layers to slide and glide smoothly, which helps you to feel loose and limber. That according to Dr. Antonio Stecco, a fascial researcher and professor of rehabilitation medicine at New York University. In certain situations, like when your body temperature drops, when you've been steel for an extended period of time or when lactic acid builds up in the muscles and fascia during intense exercise, the lubricant becomes thicker and the layers of fascia can't glide as easily, leading to feelings of stiffness. When we sleep, many of those thickening situations occur. You're usually steel for a long time, say eight hours, and your body temperature tends to drop. Your joints may also continue to feel stiff in the morning. In healthy joints, a thick fluid lubricates the space between the ends of our bones, which are capped with cartilage to help them to move freely and comfortably. Whenever we're still for a long period, like when we're sleeping, the cartilage sucks up the lubricant like a sponge, Capetta says, making our joints feel creaky. How can we feel better? The good news is that the remedy for stiffness in the morning, whether it's caused by your fascia or your joints, is the same. Movement. While we're still in bed and lying on our backs, start by doing a full body stretch like a cat or a dog does when they first wake up by extending your legs and arms wide in opposite directions. Then try pointing and flexing your toes or stretching just your arms and torso, mimicking the cliche, just woke up stretch. To bring fluid back into your joints, try gently bending and unbending your knees and elbows, rolling your wrist and your ankles, or gently nodding your head from side to side. If you still feel stiff once you've gotten out of bed, try marching in place, continuing to bend and rebend any joints that feel stiff, Capetta says. If your back and the sides of your body feel tight, you could try a gentle stretch like a loose, forward hang toward your toes with slightly bent knees or side bends in cat-cow yoga poses. Studies suggest that a regular yoga practice can be effective in reducing discomfort associated with joint and muscle stiffness and chronic back pain. Do whatever feels good for you. If you have a dog, taking it out first thing in the morning might get your body juices flowing and help you feel more nimble more quickly. If it's a cold morning, try a hot shower. While it's healthy and normal to feel a little tight after a night of stillness, you might feel even more tight if your baseline flexibility is already limited. You can lessen this by staying limber and maintaining an active lifestyle in general. If you don't already stretch regularly, adding even 15 minutes of stretching to any day part can help you to feel less stiff when you wake up. If you sit in front of the computer for work, try moving around and changing positions throughout the day. All of this information is just enough to make you lose your hair. Can you hear that? It's the sound of our hair follicles closing up shop. Stress. 
whether from a significant life event such as a divorce, job loss, or illness, can wreak havoc on our noggins. Dr. Maria Sharon, a dermatologist at Vanguard Skin Specialist in Colorado Springs, has seen a noticeable uptick in visits from people experiencing a temporary hair loss caused by stress that pushes hair roots into the resting state. She says it's one of those things that can be triggered by physical exercise, like being hospitalized or certain medications or losing a lot of weight, but also illness or the loss of a family member or personal stressors Anything that affects the body medically or psychologically can induce a type of hair loss. But she says you won't know it's happening until about three months after the fact due to the three-part hair cycle. The antigen phase, which is the growth phase, can last two to eight years and refers to about 85 to 90 percent of our hair. Catagen, transition shedding, is the two to three week when hair follicles shrink. Telogen, which is resting, lasts for about two to four months, and at the end, the hair falls out. Dr. Sharon says everybody's growth phase is different. That's why some people can grow their hair longer. Typical hair loss is about 100 to 150 hairs per day, but you'll be the best judge of what's happening on your own head. And if you do ascertain something abnormal is happening, what can be done about it? Well, first, Stop stressing about it, which can cause more hair loss. The second step, sadly, there is no second step except to wait it out. The situation can resolve itself once the stressor is removed from the equation. Nothing has been scientifically proven to make a huge impact on the process, she says, though sometimes she suggests topical applications of minoxidil, which is generic for Rogaine. It might switch hairs into the growth phase, but she says most of the time, hair loss will stop on its own. And if a stressor can't be removed, you can find ways to manage the stress, such as therapy, medication, or even exercise. Above all, it might help to know that dermatologists across the United States are seeing an increase in this type of hair shedding in their clients. We're hoping you don't lose your hair. I'm Freddie Bell, and you're listening to New Beginnings. Hear today's words to the wise, laugh out loud. It's a simple yet powerful reminder to find joy in life. This expression encourages you to embrace humor, to release stress, and enjoy the lighter side of situations. Beyond the literal act of laughing, it signifies a broader philosophy of appreciating the moments of levity and not taking life too seriously. Laugh out loud is also a call to prioritize happiness and sharing a lighthearted perspective that can enhance your well-being and create a positive atmosphere for yourself and those around you. It's Laugh Out Loud, today's words to the wise. Thank you for listening to New Beginnings. You can stay up to date with this show. All you have to do is go to Google or to Apple and download the Freddie Bell Radio Shows app. Yes, download the Freddie Bell Radio Shows app and you'll be up to date on everything concerning this show and anything related to Freddie Bell. More to come. Stay with us. This is a news-oriented broadcast, and all information is educational in nature is not intended to be legal, securities, tax, or insurance advice. Please consult with the appropriate professional before acting on information heard during the broadcast. You're listening to New Beginnings. New Beginnings with Freddie Bell. Dying with dignity and comfort is what we all want. Join us this week as we talk about living wills and how to ensure your medical wishes are respected, even when you're unable to voice them. 
and I'm with Label Sternbach. You know him. He is Amazon's best-selling author of Living with Financial Anxiety, and also you may even have the book entitled Authenticity. His website is yieldsforyou.com. Label, I'm so excited to be with you this week, and thank you for the last couple of weeks of really robust conversations about trust and our wills. And I want to know if we can start, I, I told our audience that uh, we talk about living wills today, and I said, gosh, I should have checked with Label to see if uh, you'd be willing to explain to us what a living will is and why it's so vital to us. You know me, I'm always up to talk about random stuff. <laughs> so so why is it vital? What, what is a living will, Label? What is a living will? So a living will, well, as the name implies, it's a will for when you're alive. Um, it's think of it, it. It's kind of a uh, catch-all term that encompasses a few different things depending on your state, and every state has different laws and calls it different things. Um, and even within a state, you may have one hospital call it one thing and another hospital call it another thing. But what it is is a framework of laws that allow you to uh, allow you to designate authority or to pre-authorize and predetermine how you want yourself to be treated or actions to be taken in certain events. So let me give you the the simplest example, right? The one that probably everyone's familiar with is do you want to, does a person want to remain on life support, right? If, if they become a vegetable, do they want to continue life as a vegetable hooked up to a ventilator and being, you know, basically kept alive by machines or do they want the plug to be pulled, right? At a very, at a very simplistic level, right? That question is what a living will would, would answer. But it can get more complicated, right? It can get into questions of, you know, do not resuscitate orders of if, if you know, if a person uh, dies, right, and they're, you know, they're clinical, they have clinical death in the hospital or whatever, do they want to be brought back to life? And for someone who's, let's say, in their 90s, right, or their very frail health, the act of reviving them, you know, where you're doing CPR and you're forcing air into their into their lungs, the act of doing those compressions, you're to do it properly, you got to crack ribs. And when a person's, you know, in their 90s, they may not heal from that or the, you know, the surviving that and coming back and, you know, the recovery may be worse than them dying. Um, and so do not resuscitate orders, the, you know, when, when to end life, what treatments do you want, right? Like, you know, you may want, you know, one set of treatments if it's just an injection or, or an IV, but you may not want to be subject to tests every six hours or invasive treatments. And so outlining what, what, um, what types of treatments you want, what medical actions you are okay with and not okay with. That is what kind of comes under the auspices of a living will. It also includes the authority for both the hospital and medical practitioners to follow those directives, because by default, they're not allowed to just, you know, not treat you, right? That goes against everything that our, you know, Western ideals are based on, of, you know, the taking care of the needy and, you know, treating the sick is, you know, you they don't have a choice. A doctor has to treat someone. 
Um, and if you're in the hospital, they have to bring you back. So having laws that allow you to circumvent that and say, no, this doesn't, this law doesn't apply now. You don't have to treat me, right? So that's what these frameworks are, what documents you need, how that happens, what are the circumstances when they come into play. Every state is different. Uh, every hospital may be different in what they'll respect, but that's what living wills are. They they outline, you know, who can who can who can take control of your treatment when you're not around to say it, how you should be treated medically, um, what interventions you're okay with uh, if you're not around to give an opinion. Interesting. So I've just learned a new term this week: a framework of laws. That's what a living will is. So is that different? from the examples and the outline that you just gave label than a health proxy? So a health proxy is when you appoint someone else to make to make medical decisions for you. Um, and again, a health proxy is something that fits into this framework of laws. Not every state, you know, has the same laws of uh, health proxy. Not all. I'm, I think there are states that don't even allow health proxies. Um, so it's something that, you know, you need to, you need to see what's available, but yeah, health proxy would be in that category. And you can also have, you know, health proxies that are potentially, you know, you have when I'm unconscious and I can't respond or when I have no expectations of recovering, you know, consciousness, or maybe it's, you know, um, being lucid, right? I'm conscious, but I don't understand what's happening to me. Mm -hmm. That's when this health proxy, or sometimes it's called, you know, uh, medical power of attorney, you know, that kind of stuff. May, that's when it springs into effect. And some of them are like, no, I want, you know, I, I don't like making medical decisions. And so if I can't make the decision, I'm not available. You can talk to my daughter, my kid, my whatever, right? This is a person who I trust to make my medical decisions. Interesting. Label Sternbach with us this week. We're talking about living wills. And I thought of a couple of questions after we discussed uh, wills last week and estate planning. And I'm wondering about uh, financial decisions. We covered that pretty well last week. But how, how does a living will play with the financial decisions that we make at that time, as you called it? How do we ensure that everything is taken care of? Is that already taken care of with a simple will that we talked about last week or an estate plan? That's a great question. Uh, that's a great question. And I, one of my clients who uh, <laughs> I was talking to about this, she used to work as a teller in a bank. And she said that very few people understood uh, that the thing that I'm about to talk to you about ends at death. And so I think as we enter into this conversation, I think it's important to understand that there's a big division between documents that give people authority while we're alive and documents that give people authority when we're no longer alive, right? Mm -hmm. Those are two very separate things. And generally speaking, the same document cannot be used for both circumstances. So I could have a will that says that when I pass, my wife can make all financial decisions, right? I will appoint her as my executor of my estate. And if she's not around, I appoint, you know, so-and-so, which is perfectly fine for a will, but that only applies when I'm no longer around. While I'm still around, while I'm still alive, while I'm still taking breaths, doesn't matter whether I'm, you know, aware or not, right? Like whether I'm mentally with it. That doesn't matter. It can be a vegetable in a coma. That power doesn't happen yet, 
right? That document doesn't come into play. It's just a piece of paper. Um, it, it's not even worth the ink that it's printed on. Mm. Um, so in order to give someone while we're still alive that authority to make financial decisions for us, and whether it's financial decisions, whether it's business decisions, right? Let's say, you know, I have I have multiple businesses that I'm part of, and if something were to incapacitate me, or if I was just unreachable for a period of time, those businesses would suffer, right? And so I need someone who can act upon can act with my authority, whether it's to engage in deals and sign contracts and do things like that. And so that's where other documents come into play. And the most common one is called a limited power of attorney. And it's called, sometimes it's called a springing power of attorney. I'll explain the difference in a second. But a power of attorney allows somebody to act on your behalf as if they were you. Right. So if you I signed an unlimited power of attorney and I said, you know, uh, Fred, you can you can represent me, period. Right. I give you my power of attorney as far as the law is concerned, as far as anybody is concerned. You are me when you say you're acting on my behalf. You Mm -hmm. have no restrictions, no anything. You can walk into the bank and pull out all money from my account because you are me in reality. Right. Because legally, there's no difference between the two of us. That's a power of attorney. Now, nobody really wants to give someone that much blanket authority, right? That's a lot of blanket authority. And you should be careful because I have seen where unscrupulous children or, you know, lawyers who, you know, should know better have created documents that do that. Uh, So you never want to give blanket authority. What you do want is either a limited power of attorney where you say, I give you authority to act on my behalf for X, Y circumstances, right? Mm -hmm. And then you can even go a step further and you can say, and this authority only happens, it's a springing authority that only happens when this other event happens, when I'm unavailable for more than two or three weeks, when it's deemed that I'm not going to be able to make this decision, you know, in time or um, whatever, right? You decide what those circumstances are that you're okay with and your state laws need to allow it. Every state has different laws as to how those uh, power of attorneys can manifest, but that's what the document says and that's what it does. And it gives that person that authority to act on your behalf. And it could be a medical power of attorney or it could be a financial power of attorney or it can just be a general power of attorney. Um, that that's really up to you to decide what gives you comfort and what you want to see happen. And generally, those documents are one or to two pages long. They're not very long and very big. I can see the and hear the conversations across the uh, the dinner table or the breakfast table as uh, these details start to roll out. So I'm just curious, Label. So is is all of this is this at all related to asset protection trusts or Medicaid spend down? So those, those are something else. Those are more going back to the trusts and the specific use cases of trusts. Um, So when you have, when you have trusts, they can protect assets, right? And now the definition of a trust is that it's a legal entity that owns something, right? That's the, the, the definition. It's not a person. It's a legal entity that owns something that's not a corporation and not a person. It's, it's this unique type of entity. Um, 
And so when you have, there are trusts that you can create that protect your assets from like Medicaid. This is where Medicaid will, uh, Medicaid will come in and say, well, you got, before the state is going to spend their money on taking care of your health, we want to make sure that you've spent all your money on your health. And some states will say, well, you can exclude, you know, your home from that valuation, right? So we don't want to make you homeless because that'll cost us even more money, Mm -hmm. but we'll make you spend all your retirement savings where they'll say you can have up to, you know, 50,000 or a hundred thousand, every state's different. Um, So a Medicaid trust, spend down trust, you know, all that kind of stuff that comes into planning for when you have, when you potentially have a very large amount of medical expenses that far exceed your ability to pay them. And you need to go from having Medicare to having Medicaid and being on, you know, a beneficiary of the state. That's where you want to get start engaging with lawyers who specialize in that because those rules are very state specific. Um, how do we protect your assets in the most amount of assets in a way that the state won't come after them while you're still alive or after death? Right, because the the state has both options for coming after them. And again, the only way that it really works is because it limits how much access you have to it. It no longer becomes your asset to control. It becomes this trust asset to control or you stay within those you know, lines. Makes sense. We've got to leave it right there. If you like additional information, as I was saying, go to yields for you. That's yields, the number four, the letter U dot com. And next time when we get together, join us as we talk about romance scams and the new threat facing single retirees. I'm Freddie Bell, and more New Beginnings is straight ahead. This National Bake Cookies Day, it recognizes holiday cookie baking. Get ready to whip up a batch of your favorite cookies for Bake Cookies Day. The day has been celebrated since the mid-1980s and is a great way to get into the holiday spirit. Baking cookies is also an excellent opportunity to spend quality time with family and friends or even just by yourself. So whether you're baking classic chocolate chip, yum, oatmeal raisin, oh that's good, or something more adventurous, like matcha green tea flavored, make sure you don't miss out on this delicious National Baked Cookies Day. Thank you for listening to New Beginnings. You can stay up to date with this show. All you have to do is go to Google or to Apple and download the Freddie Bell Radio Show's app. Yes, download the Freddie Bell Radio Show's app and you'll be up to date on everything concerning this show and anything related to Freddie Bell. More to come. Stay with us. As New Beginnings continues, we now take you to the spirituality portion of our program, where we introduce the senior minister of Unity South Twin Cities, the Reverend James Stacy. We now join Reverend Stacy with a program already in progress. And have any sense of worthlessness or that you do not deserve the best that life can provide. So invite us for a moment to turn to the silence, to enter what we call silent unity. That is when we come together holding and affirming an idea, not each of you alone, but as a community. I invite you to close your eyes if you choose 
Become aware of your breath. Take a deep breath just to remember. Wow, your connection with life. It's in every breath. It's in every pulse of your heart. You're one with the infinite, with the power that brought you into this world and created all good things. Spirit of wisdom, help us to remember our fathers with a devoted love for the guidance and provision they brought into our lives. We remember clearly and with focus all the human qualities they demonstrated for our welfare. Now, being honest with ourselves, if any of our expectations were not met, we go the extra mile. We become prodigious. We release in forgiveness now. Any resentment about in any way that our Father did not meet our needs, our expectations. We allow our fathers to live their lives in a manner in which they can progress on their unique spiritual path. Now let us use the power of imagination. Imagine your father or that special fatherly figure in your life. Imagine him as a child. See with your mind's eye that child. Allow that image to expand as your father grew, but hold an image of him before you were born. See him as an image of a human being whose sole purpose was not bringing you into the world. He had a life. He had dreams. He was a unique creation of God. Now see your father aging to the point to where you were born. And he guided and cared as you grew. Now as these creative images move through your mind, realize a complete, full, blessed image of your Father because He was more than all these images, more than all your memories, much more. He was a creation of God. Hold that in the silence for a moment as we allow our awareness to return to this outer sanctuary where we're seated among friends. Let the wow, the wow, be upon your heart, giving thanks for this world of wonder in which you live with your Father, with one who guided you through this life, a father that made a promise and always tried to make good on that promise. Whatever our individual stories of father may be, 
we can still know in truth that prodigious Father of unconditional love welcoming us in every circumstance in our life. Thanks be to God for those we have known who have known us and where there is love. And so it is. Amen. And gently bring your attention back to this room. But whatever that little meditation practice was for you, at least let it remind you that you can always commune with your prodigious father if you just remember as the prodigal son did, I can go home. I can go home. You just heard a message coming from the Reverend James Stacy, the Senior Minister of Unity South in the Twin Cities. More information is found at their website at unitysouth.org. And now it's time for Outburst, a time to share excerpts from my upcoming book inspired by the timeless wisdom of words to the wise. Today's message could be a powerful one for you. Take time to discover yourself through others. In the course of our lives, there are moments of revelation that can reshape our understanding of who we are. For me, such a moment arrived when I discovered the truth about my father's passing. It had been nearly 50 years since I last saw him when I was just beginning my broadcasting career in Omaha. Prior to seeing him 50 years earlier, my dad had come to visit us in Kansas City where we lived with our mother and grandparents. Our parents had separated when we were much younger and the years had created a void between us. Despite my many attempts to reach out and establish a connection, I could never bridge the gap. It wasn't until earlier this year when my wife discovered my father through Ancestry.com that the doors of understanding began to open. Unfortunately, we learned that my dad had died seven years ago. However, a call from my father's former wife brought about a pivotal conversation. During the call, memories flooded back. I vividly recall the time I last saw my dad where he introduced me to my twin younger brothers. However, their names remained unknown to me until now. Through the facilitation of my father's widow, we had a three-way call, and as I spoke with my twin brothers for the first time, I felt an overwhelming sense of connection, a profound understanding of myself as well. In that conversation, it became evident that our shared bloodline extended far beyond mere genetics. It was a bond that transcended time and distance. Through my newfound connection with my brothers, I felt a sense of grounding and completeness. They provided me with a missing piece of my identity, and in turn, I discovered a deeper understanding of who I truly am. Today's words to the wise, take time to discover yourself through others. In reaching out, embracing our shared history, and connecting with those who are a part of our lives, we can unravel the tapestry of our own being. Through these connections, we can find solace, rediscover our roots, and forge a stronger sense of self. As I continue on this remarkable journey, I invite you to reflect on the connections in your own life. Embrace the opportunity to explore the profound wisdom and insights that others can bring. In doing so, you might even discover facets of yourself and in turn experience a profound sense of belonging. For more outbursts, stay connected with me through my website, freddybell.com. 
And together, let's uncover the hidden treasures within ourselves and embrace the transformative power of human connection. I'm Freddie Bell. That's our show, and thanks to our special guests for stopping by and sharing information that we hope can change lives. If you missed any of today's show, you can subscribe to our podcast or just Google Freddie Bell or stop by my website of the same name. Thanks for listening, and remember that each day is a chance for a new beginning. See you next week. 